Well, good morning, everybody. So uh, next week we are finishing up our Perfectly One series, and so you'll have one more opportunity to hear One Love by you two, you know. Um, but uh, next week, so this is what I would like everybody to do if you can. So throughout this series um, that we've, we've been doing since the beginning of the year, um, we've taught on a whole different types of different subjects, but talking about unity in the church, how we can be united in prayer, how we can be united in our gifts and our talents, you, you, united and growing in our faith together. Uh, last week we talked about sacrifice, and so that was a tough one to talk about. Um, in a moment today, we're going to talk about communion. Um, but as you've gone through this series, there may have been some questions or some things that you may have thought about, or maybe just some thoughts uh, about how, as a church, we can become united or more united uh, together. And so what I would like for you to do is uh, if you could let us know those questions, all those thoughts. So uh, you can write them down if you want. You can go to the uh, info table after service and fill out Connect card just on the back, write that question or write that thought on there or, or come to myself or Chris or Zoe and let us know your thoughts or, or email us. You can just go to info at thisgen.com or you can email Chris directly if you want at chris at the, thisgen.com uh, because next week uh, we're going to do something just a little different um, and uh, we're going to answer some of those questions um, and so you're going to get a chance to hear from us and just some of the leaders here at Generation Church um, and I'm excited for what we're going to share next week uh, so you don't want to miss it but uh, we need your help so if you could like let us just know some of your thoughts and questions just so we can kind of address or answer those or share some of those thoughts uh, during next week uh, but for today we're also going to do something a little different as well today um, how many of you like baseball anyone like baseball here Okay, so like half of you. So if you've ever been like to Oriel Park and you're going down to Camden Yards and uh, you've gone maybe for an afternoon game and then you're surprised because you get excited because you don't just get to see one game, you get to see two games because it's a double header, right? I don't know if that's a good thing with the Orioles or a bad thing, uh, but uh, we're going to have a kind of like a double header this morning. Now, your time, you're not going to be here for like double the amount of time. So before you start to worry... You know, it's not going to be like an Hispanic church, like my, wi my wife's parents' church that lasts for everyone a day. It's like four in the afternoon. You're still in church? What? Uh, but uh, what we're going to do, uh, Chris and myself, we're going to kind of tag team this morning a little. So we're actually going to both teach uh, this morning uh, um, at kind of the same topic, uh, but we're going to take two different angles on what we're going to uh, teach on. So last month, I got an amazing opportunity to go to Colorado for the first time in my life. Anyone actually ever been to Colorado? Colorado, uh, some of you. Any of you actually been skiing in Colorado? Okay, and you survived to tell the tale. Congratulations. Uh, Colorado is an amazing, amazing state. Um, when you actually go there, it, it, you are awe-inspired. If you ever doubt God, then go to the Southwest ticket counter, buy a direct flight to, uh, to Denver, and then travel about two hours into the mountains, and suddenly you will not doubt God anymore because just the, 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 the scenery is amazing. Only God could have created that. But so I got the chance to go. I was invited to go to a wedding, and I had an important part to play because I was actually uh, marrying the couple, and so I was the, the minister on duty uh, that weekend. So we got the chance to go four days in Colorado. Well, I didn't have to worry about our flights because the groom took care of all our flights. And so he just sent me an email one day and he says, these are the flights that you're going on. And so this is the flight you leave Baltimore. And then these are the flights that you leave Denver. Um, and, and then I said, well, what about hotel? Well, don't worry. Uh, you're in the same hotel as all of us. All the activities are going on in the same hotel. I've already booked your room. You're, you're, you're taken care of. Uh, and then I said, well, how do we get from the, from the airport to the hotel? Uh, and how far is it? He says, well, it's about a two-hour drive up the mountain. But don't worry, a shuttle will pick you up. And I'm thinking... How much is this going to cost me? He says, don't worry. It's all on me. I've taken care of it. Even better, right? So we get there, and then there's all these activities that are planned. And uh, uh, that night, there's a cocktail hour. And so that uh, uh, all, all the people who are in the wedding party, and there are about uh, 42 people all together who made the trip uh, from here in Maryland over to Colorado. Um, and uh, we, we got together, and there was these, like, heavy hors d'oeuvres. And, uh, you know, uh, if you've ever tried, like, beef here and then go try beef in Colorado, it's like, it's, it's, it's like the opposite. Don't try seafood over there if you've tried it here. 
Don't try beef here if you tried beef over there. It was amazing. And so we are, uh, we're having this great time, uh, not, uh, not, no expense spared uh, at all. And then that night, uh, we get given these little uh, gift bags called welcome bags. And in there, there were some snacks in there. It's always great to have snacks in your little gift bags. Uh, then there were some water bottles because we got to drink lots of water. I'd already thrown up once from altitude sickness. And so you got to drink lots of water because of the altitude. And then also in there, there was cans of oxygen just in case we needed it. They took care of everything for us. And uh, it was pretty amazing. I saw some of the uh, all, older people in there. They were like, <laughs> like this. And uh, I was like, I mean, it's just oxygen, you know. But it was, it was pretty fun. And so there was lots of things to do. And then the next night, so we got taken on a sleigh ride through the, uh, the hills of Colorado. And it was super cold. It was about 15 degrees. But we had blankets on us. We saw five moose. And so I was super excited. My son was just like, what's the deal, Dad? I'm like, five moose? You've probably never seen these in your life again. Uh, and then we had this steak dinner again because that's what you eat when you're in Colorado. And then the next day, we had the wedding. And the wedding was this amazing time. It was a beautiful, beautiful wedding. Uh, there was this barn at the hotel that we stayed in. It was an amazing hotel. And the doors of the barn opened and you saw the mountains of Colorado in the background. And so everybody sat in the barn and they opened the doors, right? And then myself and the bride and groom and the, some of the bridal party actually stood outside. And so it was the first time I've ever wore thermals with a suit, but it was cold. But it was this beautiful moment. We had a very personalized ceremony and this dear couple that, 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 that have become very dear to my heart, I watched them to get married. And then after that, they had another cocktail hour because they like their cocktail hours. And so more heavy hors d'oeuvres. And then we got to the reception. Now, there's 42 people. Now, normally you have all different tables. You have a head table at a wedding. They decided they wanted one big, long farm table. It was this amazing thing. And I looked, and, and they asked me to say the blessing. And I, I stood by a fireplace at the head of the table and looked over. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm in a HGTV commercial. It was like no expense spared, right? So we ate, and then we ate uh, our, our appetizers, and then we ate our uh, main course and I'd had enough of beef by then so I actually did have the fish and it was delicious and then we had dessert and then they had cake and then it, it was just this amazing moment of this family table that we had come together and gathered and then the DJ says okay the bride and couple bride and groom are, are going to come and do their first dance and then they're dancing they says they want everyone else to get up and dance with them like everybody got up and danced. It's not like most weddings where it's just the kids and the few crazy aunts who were dancing and then they wait till everybody else has drank a little bit more then they come and dance. So that's what most weddings are, right? But no, everybody was this, there was this atmosphere of celebration. It was one of the most special weddings I've been part of because I sat there and I didn't feel like an imposter. Even though most of the people were family and I was not family, I felt I had a place there. I felt I belonged, and you just had this sense of celebration. Like we had all traveled from Baltimore and, and some in Delaware, and we'd all traveled thousands of miles to Colorado to celebrate this moment with this couple. It was this beautiful moment. I didn't have to ask for anything because it was already provided for me. And as I sat there and ate at this wedding, I thought, wow, aren't wedding feasts great? There's excitement, there's celebration, there's joy. But I wonder what would have happened if the groom had not turned up that day. Have you thought about that? Have you ever been part of a wedding? I'm not, don't raise your hands because maybe it was you. But where, where the groom didn't turn up, that's not very joyful. So you have all the same stuff, that there would have been the same food, there would have been the same atmosphere, there would have been the same uh, scenery, the same environment, there would have been the same cocktail hour, people would have dressed in the same things, but if the groom had not turned up, then there would be nothing to celebrate at all. Everything that would have been done would have been meaningless. So you need the groom to join the bride, otherwise there's nothing to celebrate at all. Now, when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, 
we are the church of Jesus Christ. We talked a few weeks ago about being the body of Christ. Many parts come together in one body. Well, the Bible also teaches that the church of Jesus Christ is also referred to as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. So now for you guys this morning thinking, well, I don't want to be a bride. It's like figuratively speaking, you know, it's like you're not actually a bride. So you don't have to put a white dress on and, you know, that's fine. But figuratively speaking, we are the bride of Christ and Christ is the groom. But the Bible also teaches that one day there is going to be a wedding celebration. There is going to be a wedding feast that is going to take place where Christ the groom and his church, the bride, come together in celebration. And so as the bride of Christ, there's a couple of things we need to know about the groom. Now, this wedding I went to in Colorado. Now, the couple who were getting married were pretty wealthy and the groom took care of everything. And we didn't have to worry because the groom took care of everything. But we also were happy because the groom was present. So it wasn't the groom just took care of everything, go and have a great time, I'll see you when you get back. No, the groom took care of everything, but the groom was present. And when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, that is what Jesus is. Jesus has taken care of everything that we need, and he is present as well. Now, I want to turn you to, to, to a scripture in the Bible that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's known as like the, the Lord's Supper scripture, the communion scripture. And the Apostle Paul is teaching to a church in Corinth, and he's teaching them about how they should conduct themselves when they're taking a part in this thing called communion or the Lord's Supper. There had been some, uh, some debates and some arguments among them. And this is what it says. And we're going to start reading 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 17. It says, But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, Paul says to them, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. It sounds like some people's Thanksgiving dinners, right? This is this, first I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. So it's, it's kind of reprimanding them right now. Now, could you imagine being at like the rehearsal dinner, right, out of a wedding? And you're part of the wedding party and you're there and you're eating, but you're not interested in the wedding. You're like, I've just come for the meal. I mean, some people go to weddings just for the meal. But I just come for the meal. But no, if you're in the wedding party, you have a vested interest in that wedding. You want, to take pla- you want it to take place. You're not there for the food, even though the food may be good. You're there for the celebration. You're there for what is going to happen at that wedding feast. And Paul is saying, some of you come to church and you're not interested in the Lord's Supper. You're not interested in communion. You're just interested in just coming together, doing your own thing and and making yourself feel good and then just going home. And Paul is saying, that ain't right because that's not the reason we're here. We're not here just to play church. We're here for the Lord's Supper, he says. Then he says this in verse 21. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Isn't that funny in a church? Wow. Now, just to put some context, their communion was very different to our communion. They gathered as actual a meal. Uh, and, they, and, they, and they served an actual meal together as the Lord's Supper. Maybe we should go back to that. Sounds good to me. And then he says this in verse 22. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. So he's done reprimanded them. And then the main part comes to this in verse 23. Paul says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and says, this is my body, which is given for you. He said to eat it, do this in remembrance of me. So when you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. So it's almost like they've eaten, and now Jesus gets his cup of wine. He says, okay, we're going to have some toasts. And we're going to toast. Like at a wedding, you get the speeches, and you toast the bride and groom. How many times, right? And then you toast all these other people. Jesus is saying, take the wine, and we're going to do a toast right now. And he says this, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this, so drink it. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, this practice of communion has been going on for centuries. Christianity has practiced this from the beginning uh, that the faith was started. It started actually the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed, where Jesus gathered with his disciples for the Passover meal, and then Jesus took the bread and he took the wine. It is a symbol of the bond between the bride and the groom. It is the pre-wedding meal. It's almost like the rehearsal dinner meal. And it's a, it's a meal that reminds us, number one, of God's provision. Every time we take communion, it reminds us of God's permission, uh, provision. Let me tell you what I believe communion is. Communion is a reminder that God took care of everything yesterday. That God is taking care of everything today. And that God will take care of everything tomorrow. For Jesus has provided for us, and because he has provided for us, it means we get to receive his provision. We don't have to try to work it out ourselves. So what has God provided? Well, firstly, God provided his death. So when we receive communion, we receive his death. Communion is a reminder to us that the penalty for sin is death. What does Romans say? The wages of sin is death. And so because we are sinful human beings, there is a penalty for that. And if you don't think you're sinful, well, that was probably just sinful you not thinking you were sinful. So I caught you out there. All of us are sinners in the sight of God. We've all sinned. And so the penalty for that sin is death. We deserve death because we're sinners. Yet, Jesus gave his body when he died on a cross, and he gave his body for us. So, because we sinned, we deserve death. Our body deserved to die. Jesus says, you know what? I'm the only one who hasn't sinned, so this is what I'm going to do. I don't deserve death, so I'm actually going to give my body so your body doesn't have to die. That's basically what Jesus is saying. He paid our penalty so we don't have to. So it's like going to a really nice restaurant, right? Think of the most expensive restaurant you've ever been to in your life. Some of you, maybe that's Golden Corral. Other, other of you, it may be the Charleston in, in, in Baltimore. Think about the most expensive place. You've enjoyed this feast. It's been like a delight to your, to your taste buds. You're like, I've never tasted food like this before. And you've enjoyed it. But then suddenly you say to the waiter, excuse me, can I have the check? And if you're like me, this is probably the first words out of your mouth. Let's see what the damage is, right? It's not like I have the joy of paying this bill. Let's see what the damage is. Well, what if the waiter turned around to you and said, don't worry about it. It's already taken care of. You'd be like, what? Who did that? Who did that? How? Why? Like, who gave me a free meal? And then you wish, man, I wish I hadn't gone to Golden Corral. I wish I had gone to the Charleston instead. That is what happens when we receive his death. The check has been paid. We receive his death. Not only that, when we receive communion, we receive his blood. Now, that sounds a little weird, right? We receive his blood. But think about it for those of you who who like the Godfather movies and all the mafia stuff. What what do they do? They they would cut themselves and then they would put their their, their cuts together and they become like blood brothers, right? It would mean that there was an agreement between them that's sealed with blood, meaning nothing can, can, can take that agreement away. 
And communion is a reminder that we have a new covenant, a new agreement. See, the old agreement, the old covenant that God had with man was that man would take a sacrifice whether it was a lamb or a bull or a goat, and he, would, and he would make the sacrifice, offer it to God, and hope that God would accept it for, for, uh, uh, for a replacement of their past sin, right? So it would be like you going to that restaurant, and you're not very good with your money, and you give your credit card to the waiter, and you're crossing your fingers, I hope it gets accepted, I hope it gets accepted, I hope it doesn't get denied. That was the old covenant, but Jesus says, no, there's a new covenant. And this covenant sealed with my blood. It means it's good. And the new covenant is this, that you don't have to now make any more sacrifices yourself. You don't have to worry whether God is going to accept it or not. Because I went to the Father, Jesus is saying. I offered my body. He accepted it. And he says, that is good for all these people for their past sins, their current sins, and their future sins. And that's why when we take communion, we receive his blood. It means there is provision for grace. There's provision for mercy. And there's provision for the gift of salvation from sin. And then not only that, when we receive communion, we receive hope. We receive hope. Communion is a reminder that not only Jesus has come, but that Jesus is coming again. When we stop believing that Jesus is coming again, we stop believing in the real Jesus. Communion reminds us that there is a day that will come where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more stress, no more sickness, no more sin, and no more death. It reminds us that there is a wedding feast to come, and we are going to be part of that wedding feast together. When we take of communion, we're reminded of God's provision, but not only that, we're also reminded of God's presence. The wonderful thing about living a life where Jesus is first and foremost is that we have a guarantee, and that is that Jesus is present. What good would it be with, with a wedding if the groom wasn't present? Well, the good news is this, is that Jesus has said the groom is present. The groom is here. Jesus is present. Jesus reminded his disciples when he rose from the dead. He says, be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end. It's Jesus' promise. I am with you always, even to the end. Before Jesus died, he said to his disciples, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So when you gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus' promise is this. I am there. I am present. We have these amazing promises that when we come together and partake in communion, that Jesus, the groom, is with us. Now think about that for a moment. That is an amazing truth. That if, God, if Jesus is really God, then today in this place, as we have gathered together, we sang some songs, we had some announcements, we're, 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 we're doing some teaching from the Bible, then we're going to take communion. As we have gathered, the creator of all, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who put the stars in their place, the one who created the mountains and the seas, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who has always been, they called him the ancient of days, he is here in this little room today. Now, if there's anything that should make us hoop and holler and sing for joy and dance like we're doing the electric slide, you know, it's that, that Jesus is here, that the groom has come to be joined with his bride. Jesus is here. Communion is a reminder that God was with us yesterday, that God is with us today, and that God will be with us tomorrow. So when we come and we gather and we take of communion together, remember God has provided and God is here. Let's just take a moment to think about that and let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this amazing truth God, that you have provided for us. That when we come and partake in this thing we call communion, we are reminded 
that you gave your body in place of us. Thank you, Jesus. We are reminded that you have given us a new covenant, a new agreement. And that is that you have taken care of everything. It's not about what we can do. It's all about what you have done and what you are doing. We thank you that when we come together and take communion, we are reminded of the incredible hope that we have that you are coming again. That we will one day experience no more pain, no more guilt, no more shame, no more heartbreak, no more stress, no more sickness, no more sin, no more anxiety, and no more death. And so Jesus, this morning in this place, we thank you that you are present amongst us, that as we gather together, you are here today. We thank you, Jesus. Such a good word. But you know, it's important for us to remember that this sacrament, because that's what communion is, it is a sacrament in which God gives to each one of us that presence and that provision. But we notice in the passage that Alex shared that it's a communal thing because communion simply means that we have a shared experience, right? And it means that we come together to commune. And when people come together to commune, we call that community. All of those words have their base in the word common. If you're one of those word nerds, you like etymology, it all goes back to the word common. It's what we share together. So it's an individual relationship with God that we have, but it plays out in a corporate setting. It plays out when the people of God come together to experience these things. And so it's not only the vertical, but the horizontal that communion that the communion table represents. And throughout the year, you're going to see us do this more and more often, having this communion together so that we can grasp that community that we're supposed to be. Because if you think about it, when you go into the book of Acts and you see what happened among the people of God after the resurrection, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about how they got together and it says that they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the breaking of bread together and meeting in one another's homes. There's something about community that's very close to the heart of God. It's, it's what he wants for his people. We live in a time and in a culture that really values individualism, but that is about as far from what the Bible's talking about as we can imagine, because it is community. It is the call that we have together as the people of God that is what is so important and that we are called to live out. Now, community can be messy, right? When we talk about gathering at the family table, I want you to think back to some of those Thanksgivings, some of those dinners when you got together. Family can be messy, right? One of my favorite movies is the Christmas Vacation. You know that one? I love the scene at the table. Take a look at this. See if this reminds you of your family. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, great. Oh. Oh. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! Hmm. 
I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. Yeah. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. Okay, Eddie. Crying, huh? I told you we put it in too early. Does that resemble some of your family meals? See, if community is the expression of unity, which it is, it's really what we're talking about when we talk about being perfectly one. The perfect part is what we find difficult, right? Because we're individuals and we have different needs. We come from different places. But community is the goal. Jean Varnier, who was a uh, retreat leader who eventually established a group of homes around the world called L'Arche Communities. That's for you French people, L'Arche. And they actually ministered to people with uh, mental uh, disabilities and really bring the love of God into those homes. And he said this, he said, in any case, community is not about perfect people. It's about people who are bonded to each other, each of whom is a mixture of good and bad, darkness and light, love and hate. That's what we have in this room, right? That's what we have in our families. That's what we have in our church family. And so God invites us. He invites us. He doesn't command us. He doesn't make it optional. He invites us to the table together. Because there's three things that happen when we come to the table, when we come together to break bread in the real spiritual sense. And those three things are important for us to grasp and to get inside of us so that we can understand what this thing is about. It's not just a symbol. It actually is the presence and provision of God, not just to us individually, but to us as a community of faith. And so the first thing that happens at the table is that we remember our commonality. We all come from different places. We all bring different opinions. We all have had different experiences. But when we come together, we come remembering that we have something in common. So the question is obviously, what is it that we all share when we come together? Well, if you're having a family meal, what you share is the fact that you're family. You may share a last name, perhaps. Last night, I went to an impromptu high school reunion. What did we have in common? That shared experience. And all we did was talk about memories of years and years and years ago that came back just like they were yesterday. But it was a great time of sharing, great time of community. Or perhaps we come together because we have a love of a particular food, Colorado beef. Or for me, it's, it's crab feast. You know, I just love that idea of getting messy and putting it all out on the table and you know, you really can't go anywhere because your hands are in terrible shape. But it's, it's coming together over that common interest, something in common. Well, as people of faith, what do we have in common? What we have in common is our relationship with Jesus that binds every single one of us together. Every single one of us, regardless of where we come from, what we've experienced, what even we believe outside of faith, politically, economically, any of those things, we come together recognizing and remembering that under all of that is the most important thing that we have in common. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. When the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Galatia, he says this to them, and I love it in Eugene Peterson's message version. Look what he says, Galatians 3.28. In Christ's family... There can be no division. Say no division. There can be no division. Jew, non-Jew, slave, free, male, female. Among us, you are all equal. 
That is, we all are in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's telling us is that there can be no label that we attach to ourselves or we allow other people to attach to us that is to be above the label Christian. And there is no allegiance that we can hold in our lives that is above our allegiance to Jesus. In other words, spiritual unity trumps, pun intended, political, racial, economic, gender segregation. The passage that Alex was sharing when we started that in verse 17, when he was talking about the fact that some are eating here, some are eating there, that was actually a segregation of that community where some people felt they were better than other people. Specifically, it was a differentiation between those who were socially high standing and those who were slaves. Because the beauty of the church, the body of Christ, is that we're all coming from different places and we all have different positions, if you will, in the eyes of the world. And so what would happen is some people would come and they'd bring everybody more or less contributed to the meal, but those who were wealthy, who could afford the beef, they came and they ate beef among themselves. Over here, the slaves who had very little to bring or provide could only have what they had. They weren't sharing across the table. They actually set themselves up in a separate room. It's like some people got to eat. They had the, the ritzy restaurant on one end and the golden corral on the other end, right within that same congregation. And Paul's going, my goodness, nothing could be further from what Jesus has come to do in terms of providing and in terms of being present than for you guys to segregate. And this is so important for us to get today, church, because we live in an ever-increasing segregated world. We're so divided. We're so quick to bear labels or have other labels put on us that give us reason to be disunited and to hold off with our own little tribes and our own little groups and think somehow that that's really what life is about. And that's what Jesus came to shatter. There can't be segregation of any kind in the body of Christ. If you're familiar with the book of Corinthians, you remember it starts, Paul's going, what's this I hear? Some of you say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is this, is it all divided? Of course it's not divided. It's all united in Jesus. So we remember our commonality every time we come to the table, the corporate table. Secondly, we at the table reconcile our differences. You see, when you think about our lives and our experiences and our positions or opinions, we have to deal with the fact that there are distinctions, right? Do they matter? What do we do with those things? We're naturally going to be drawn to people who think like us and look like us and act like us and are the same social status as us. What do we do with those distinctions when we come together to the Lord's table? Well, what we do is we bring those distinctions and we offer them back to God because he created us and he has a plan and he's led our lives into certain places, but not so that we can be haughty, not so that we can segregate, but rather that we can offer those things to one another so that we don't sit with the rich in one room or the poor in another room, but we share the provision of God together. And as we do that, we have this beautiful opportunity, an invitation again, to share the stories of our lives. How did you get to where you are? What can I do to contribute to you and allow you to contribute to me? How do we learn to appreciate different perspectives rather than create bigger walls, create stronger divisions? How do we bring it together? We celebrate the beauty of the diversity in God's good creation when we actually take that step to sit down at the table with one another. We allow Jesus to turn the natural suspicion and the natural human fear that it's in us when we meet the other, and we allow him to turn it into divine love. That's why it was called an agape feast, this whole big dinner that they had of which the communion remembrance was just a small part agape of course is the divine 
love. It's the Greek word that separates what Christians do when they come together in the presence of Christ, celebrating the provision of Christ that's different from the rest of the world. And so we have that opportunity to reconcile our differences. And we do this, of course, in remembrance of him because he's the one who reconciled. In Ephesians 2, it tells us, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us, tearing down walls. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. If Jesus has done that for us, who are we then to put up a wall, to fail to have communion with one another? And so it's a place of opportunity for reconciliation. And if our world needs anything right now, it's reconciliation. Amen? And then lastly at the table, the third great thing that happens is we revitalize our relationships. I like the word revitalize because it literally means it's life-giving. It gives life to. The table is life-giving. Some of the best things in our remembrances in our lives have happened at tables, haven't they? They've happened at some sort of communal celebration, whether it's a wedding, whether it's just a group of high school people getting back together. There's just memories created. We, we again, learn to appreciate. We learn to reconcile, and God gives us life through these life-affirming moments. Because here's the thing. We've received the provision of Jesus Christ that has reconciled us to God. But do you understand that we are actually God's gift to each other? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm God's gift to you. You always wanted to be God's gift to somebody, right? But seriously, this is what it is. This is what God has done for us. We actually need each other to become whole. Now, again, our culture will not tell you that. Our culture tells you to, you know, to build your life on independence and isolation and to raise yourself up at the expense of the other. But Jesus has modeled something completely different for us, and he's called us to be the body of Christ. It's not about your personal relationship with Jesus. It's about our relationship with Jesus because you can't be the person God's called you to be in isolation. We absolutely depend on each other. See, we are a spiritual family. As messy and as dysfunctional as the Griswolds sometimes in the church, but it doesn't change the fact that we're spiritual family. God has given us one to another. There's so many scriptures that talk about that. Ephesians 2.19 says, you're members of God's family. First, or John 1 says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to be children of God. Romans 8.14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. First John 3 says, see how much, how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that's what we are. And in Hebrews, it says, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and his sisters. And that's just a small grouping. All of the New Testament points to the fact that we are family. And you don't get to choose your family. You just get the choice of whether you're going to be a part of the family. Whether you're going to value the people whom God has brought into your life. We're exhorted by Scripture to be family. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, Paul writes to the Philippians? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Despite the differences, despite the shared or lack of shared experiences in the past, despite your political positions, your economic status, your race, or anything else that the world would use to tell you to segregate. All that has been broken. All that hostility has been destroyed. And it's at the table. It's when we share, when we break the bread, 
that that becomes the reality in our lives. And so we remember our commonality, we reconcile our differences, and we revitalize our relationships every time we come together. Breaking bread is a spiritual growth initiative. It, we talked, I talked last time I spoke to you about the four things in spiritual growth that we're going to focus on this year. Character, connection. Connection. We need to spend time together. We need to know each other. We need to be willing to sit down wherever, whenever, as the body of Christ, as the family at Generation Church, and say, God, we're here. We recognize your presence. We thank you for your provision. Now as we share, make us one. Unite us. Bring us to that place where we're perfectly one in the love of God. So just before we take communion, here's the challenge I want to lay before you today. We all eat, right? Say yes, you eat. Somebody ate today, somebody's going to eat later, somebody's going to eat tomorrow. All of us eat. Why not eat together? The challenge I want to make to you is for each of us to purpose, to put in our schedules, to devote the time to sharing a table specifically with someone you don't know that well could be over coffee, it could be having a meal at your house, it could be going out to lunch after church. But unless we value that and unless we practice it as a spiritual discipline, I mean, this is the best spiritual discipline of all, right? We're all going to eat. You might as well eat with somebody else. You might as well give them an opportunity to hear your story and share their story, and I think you'll be amazed at why God brought that person into your life. Taking steps committing and letting God have his way in us is the only way we're going to become perfectly one. And so throughout the year, as we do communion together here on Sunday mornings more and more often, let it be a reminder to us, let it be a challenge to us to make it a reality in our everyday lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your plan of unity and community is so beautiful. It's more than we can even imagine. And we ask you, God, to help us to be eager to participate in community. Push us beyond our comfort zones. Encourage us, Lord, to reach out to people who don't think like us or look like us or act like us or have a shared experience with us so that we can discover and appreciate the beauty of your diverse creation so that we can be challenged by one another in faith over something as simple as a meal, recognizing and thanking you for your provision and recognizing that whether it's here or at Starbucks or at Golden Corral or in our homes, you are present because there will be two or more gathered in your name. We thank you, God, that this is your beautiful plan for us as your people and pray that by your spirit we would be found faithful to your call. And that we would be the beautiful bride that is pictured in the New Testament. The beautiful bride longing, anticipating, meeting our groom. Not only in the final day, but meeting over a table, breaking bread for your glory and for our growth. We ask it in Jesus' name. And so now this is the table, not of the church but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith, and come, you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come because it's the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want to meet him should meet him here. Thank you, Chris. So this is what we're going to do this morning as we close. Both Chris and myself, we're actually going to serve you communion this morning. Not something we normally do here at a Generation, but uh, Chris is going to be over here. I'll be uh, over here. And what I want you to do, if this side of the room, if, you know, just slowly if you want to get out your seats and maybe go around that way and uh, come up to the, uh, these two little stalls and Chris will serve you communion. 
And then same on this side here, if you guys want to come around here and, um, and then I'll serve you communion today. And let me just reiterate what Chris just said. He said, this is a table that is open to all. It's an invitation to come and feast at the wedding feast of Christ. It's not for those who have paid a certain amount or those who have done, you know, certain good deeds. It's not for those who, you know, not for those who haven't had a check in past, but it's for all. So whether you have sin in your heart or you feel like an angel this morning, this table is for you because it represents that we are sinners saved by grace alone. So let's take of communion together. So this morning as you have taken of the bread, know it represents his body which was broken for you as you've taken of the cup. Know it represents a new covenant sealed with the blood of Christ. And even though we are different people who have come with different personalities, sometimes even different beliefs, different backgrounds, we look different from each other. We even have so different social economic differences. But today we come under the commonality that Jesus is Lord. So this is what I want us to do today as we close. We're going to toast Jesus, right? So what I want you to do, I want you to take your cup, and you've probably got nothing in there like me, and just raise your cup. I feel it's like, what, school of rock, raise your goblet, whatever, and you know, raise your cup. And we're just going to pray, and then we end, and we're going to pray this. We're going to thank Jesus for his blood, his sacrifice, and for bringing us together just as we are. So, Father God, we thank you today for what this table represents. We thank you for your death, your resurrection, and the fact that you're coming again. God, we thank you, Lord, that we are not here just by ourselves trying to figure it out, but you are with us. God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that this table brings us together in commonality. God, we thank you, Lord, that even though we have differences, we still can come together. We thank you, Lord, that at this table, Lord Jesus, we are revitalized in our relationships. And so this morning, God, we thank you for your death and your resurrection. We thank you that you're coming again. We thank you this morning, Lord Jesus, that we are the bride of Christ. And God, we are proud that you are our groom. And we cannot wait for that day when we get a wedding feast. God, celebrating, Lord who you are and what you've done. So Father God, this week we pray that you'll be with us. You'll bless us in all that you do. Give us opportunities to shine a light for you, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.